the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the Daily Show Prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Dennis Prager. On occasion, I actually open up with a guest. That's how much I respect this man, Roger Simon, many known to many of you, of course. Academy Award-nominated screenwriter, novelist, columnist for the Epic Times. I subscribe to the Epic Times. It's one of the most important publications in the English-speaking world, by the way. Again, Academy Award-nominated screenwriter, novelist. And his new book is American Refugees. For those of you watching, I'm putting it up. The untold story of the mass exodus from blue states to red states. Mass, sorry? Migration. No, it says exodus. Oh, really? Yeah. Does Alan go to the punishment room? Has he ever been in it? <laughs> Roger, forgive us. This is an uh, an intra show. I gather. Anyway, it's great to see well, you. you know, great to have you. I, I stole the name Exodus from you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, we, this, this is the era of plagiarism. Uh, oh, yeah, you are truly, you are Roger Simon. Uh, by the way, among the people giving you blurbs at the back of the book, uh, it says uh, one of them is Tucker Carlson, and I love the ID, fired Fox News host. Yeah. <laughs> we, we asked him what he wanted. He I, said, oh, I knew it. I, I knew it came from him. I had no doubt. The publisher doubt. didn't want it. The publisher said, you can't say that. I said, sure, it's what he wants. Exactly. I think it's hilarious, actually. What prompted you to write the book? Well, in my life. I mean, uh, uh, in June 1 of uh, 2018, uh, after living roughly 50 years in Los Angeles, mostly in the Hollywood Hills, I uh, gave up and left, <laughs> as, as many have. And you haven't, but I, think, I suspect that, that you live, as I recall, up in the San Gabriel region, which is slightly different from where I was. I mean, I lived in a in the in the midst of the Hollywood whatever, and and uh, it was soon becoming overwhelmed by homeless and everything else. And it was we couldn't walk our dog and all the rest of it. And also, I wanted to see what life was like in the in the middle of our country. And I found out. And it it's a very interesting story. It's complicated. It's not simple, but it I'm glad I did it. 
That's the short form. I have a tremendous amount to say about it, which is why I wrote the book. But uh, I think one of the most surprising parts was that uh, those of us who left, those of us who made this journey that I may have made, predominantly were more constitutionalist than the people who lived here. There, there was a it was a great fear we were going to come in and infect them with our so-called California values. Uh, but it, it, not many of us really had that. Most of us were, were fleeing that. And so it, 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 it created, a, especially in Tennessee, but in other places too, because the book, I, I deal with several states in there. It, 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 the, it, there were, it were many surprises in there, and, and and people had to learn to to work and live with each other, and uh, and it, it's been a, an interesting journey. And I, I recommend the, my own book for this reason. It describes. I'm going to read it because I just love reading whatever you write. But uh, it describes primarily your journey, or is it both macro and micro? It's both, but but it's I would say it leans slightly more to mine. But but it's, it is both, and uh, I I spoke with people in primarily in in Texas, Georgia, and Florida, uh, and of course Tennessee, where I am. Uh, uh, I did not deal much with Idaho and other states of I've had immigration as well, simply geographically, no well, more than that. So when did the Great Wave begin? Didn't it begin? Uh, with uh, the lockdowns, or, or you preceded the lockdowns. I, I talk about that, that there were three waves. Essentially, there's the pre, post, uh, during the lockdowns, and then the post. I mean, it's still going on. I mean, right. You can tell by property values, but but it, it, it uh, it's a three. A th- uh, you know, a, essentially a three. Well, in terms of property values, you, you probably did great because you sold high uh, here in L.A. and you bought relatively low in Tennessee because... The- a little bit. Yeah, it, it's, you know, because we live in a nice... Te- Nashville is uh, a complicated city of its own. One of the big... One of the errors I made is I thought Nashville was going to be purple, the city. Actually, it's very blue. It's almost as blue as L.A. Uh, but you get 10 miles out of it, and it's red. It's very. It, it, it's a kind of very interesting demography. Um, but this, this has caused Nashville in its nicer areas, and I live in a nice area of Nashville because of years of screenwriting, I didn't want to live <laughs> in, the, in the slum area, uh, are not as expensive as L.A., but they're closer than you would think. Oh, yeah. No, I, I have no doubt about that. Uh, you know. Well, so, you know, the Daily Wire moved to Nashville. Yeah, I know very well. Their, their offices are about five or eight minutes from me. Uh, a lot of things. This is a, it, the, the reason we chose Nashville uh, was because it is a creative place. Uh, as everyone knows, it's the center of the country music industry. You can hear a band, you know, 20 times a day here if you want uh so it's it's it, it, it there there are and it's, there are also symphonies it's not just um, country music so it, it, that's part of the reason we moved here uh because so let me ask you because uh, well, uh, this is of it's of surpassing importance in my view of life was it easy difficult 
challenging uh, to make new friends? Uh, it was easier than I expected. Uh, but, but one of the reasons is that I play tennis and I joined the club to play tennis. But, but, uh, uh, it, it, so it was, and also I had, you know, lost a lot of friends in LA, unfortunately, not you, you always remain one, but, but, but I've moved, as you know, from left to right, uh, so really slightly before 9-11, but also finished off at 9-11. And having been working in Hollywood, they don't like apostates any more than the Muslims do. So <laughs> I was, I was already losing friends. Now I have a lot of friends here. A lot of them are evangelical Christians, and they're in one of the major themes of the book. And people who have already read it tell me this is one of the more interesting parts of it, is that uh, I became more religious moving here as a Jew. So there is, yes, so there is an old saying, it was in German, and I don't know a German except the you know, rudimentary get along, so I don't know, but it, so I can't repeat the saying, but the, basically it was, the Jews are as Jewish as the Christians are Christian. Yes, I never heard that, but it is right to me, it's right. You know what it was, there's a, there's a, a chapter near the end of the book called Steeples, which is what people like a lot, this chapter. And I just talk about how when I first arrived in this area, I, 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 I said, well, what are all these steeples? <laughs> There's steeples everywhere. <laughs> and, you know, there was a church on every corner. And I joined this club to play tennis, and I went to the gym. It has a gym. And a guy I had just met at a political gathering for a candidate, Came up to me, shook his hand, and said, uh, "Well, it's welcome. How you, how you like it so far?" Everybody said that. Everybody was so nice. I thought there was a trick. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> well, if you live in New York, LA, that's right. What, what do you have in mind? <laughs> so he, so he said, "What church are you joining?" And I said, "Well, uh, I'm Jewish." So he said, "Oh, he did a beat, beat, you know." And then he said, "Well, which synagogue?" And as it turns out, there are five in the Nashville area. I ended up um, doing much of mine uh, at Chabad because the Chabad here is quite wonderful and has a terrific rabbi who was also, he was the brother of the rabbi in Berlin, the Chabad rabbi in Berlin, who was the one who, who initiated um, uh, the, the menorah lighting at the Brandenburg Gate. So it was a very interesting fellow. All right, hold on there. I'm going to want to continue. You have the time? Can you stay on? Um, with you, Dennis, I will stay on all day. Thank you. Roger Simon's book, American Refugees, The Untold Story of the Mass Exodus from Blue States to Red States. Gold dealers are a dime a dozen. They're everywhere. So what sets these companies apart and who can you really trust? This is Dennis Prager for AmFed Coin and Bullion, my choice for buying precious metals. When you buy precious metals, it's imperative that you buy from a trustworthy and transparent dealer that protects your best interests. So many companies use gimmicks to take advantage of inexperienced gold and silver buyers. Be cautious of brokers offering free gold and silver or brokers that want to sell you overpriced collectible coins claiming they appreciate more than gold and silver. What about hidden commissions and huge markups? Nick Grovich 
and his team at AmFed always have my back. He's been in this industry for over 42 years, and he's proud of providing transparency and fair pricing to build trusted relationships. If you're interested in buying or selling, call Nick and his team at AmFed Coin and Bullion, 800-221-7694, AmericanFederal.com. That's AmericanFederal.com. Roger Simon, the Academy Award nominee in uh, screenwriting, uh, has uh, moved from Los Angeles to Tennessee, 50 years in L.A., and he's written about it. American Refugees, the Untold Story of the Mass Exodus from Blue States to Red States. Roger Simon. So uh, on this last issue about your you're going to Nashville and ending up more religious, uh, it makes perfect sense to me. In, in, a, in the secular world, as I said earlier, Jews tend to be secular, and in the religious world, Jews tend to be more religious. This is, and I wrote a, I wrote a column you would have loved a few weeks ago uh, when uh, more Americans went to church, Jews were more secure. That's another factor. That uh, So true. So true. Yeah, of course. You're I living mean, it. You're living it. Almost gives me the shivers when you say that. Actually, hmm. given what's going on in the world today, right? Uh, you know, I you know I take we take on you know it's a it's a, it's a book with I hope I I I write with wit, but but taking on some pretty serious subjects in there, and, and including the question that comes up when you move is uh, is this country going to fly apart? You know. Am I moving to a new country? Uh, will there be a civil war? I mean, all of these things have uh, are in the air. I mean, very much so in ways that they weren't when we were growing up, even remotely. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, so the, so the book is, explores those questions. Um, I I do it frequently with someone in the book who remains anonymous. Who wanted to go? Who goes under the the gnome de blog of Rocky Top from the country song Rocky Top, <clears throat> but who was actually an advisor to presidents uh, in Washington and an advisor to governors in Tennessee, uh, as, uh, but uh, but talks to me <clears throat> in, in the book, uh, shall we say, under the radar, right. Pulling things out from under rocks, so it makes them some mm-hmm. interesting talk. Why did you choose Tennessee and not Florida? Uh, to avoid uh, skin cancer? No, <laughs> mm. I, I uh, you know, in a in a way, um, my wife and daughter, who are very important to me, obviously, uh, preferred uh, Tennessee because they were extreme country music fans. Oh, I mean, I've always liked country music. Um, and, and as I said earlier in your show, it's a creative city. And so I wanted to be around creative people. You know, I've had funny experiences right away because I went, went out to dinner at a Turkish restaurant. They have those things here too. And, and the waiter, waiter said to me, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a writer. He said, Oh, what songs have you written? <laughs> no, I wrote movies. He looked like me. I came from Mars. Anyway. 
Right. They're, you know, the waiters here are songwriters in Los Angeles. They're, uh, they're, they're screenwriters and uh, actors. Have you found uh, a, a California refugee community that you've bonded with? Oh, yes, it's big. It's very big. A lot of them are grouped around Franklin, Tennessee, which is about 15-minute drive from Nashville to the south. It's uh, You're in then Williamson County, which is, uh, at one point, and I think still is, uh, pretty much the wealthiest Republican voting county in the country. Huh. It's quite beautiful. It's where the country stars live. Marsha Blackburn lives there and similar personalities. Marsha has become a friend of ours. One of the interesting things when you move to a, uh, Tennessee is not a small state, but it's a lot smaller, everything's smaller than California. The, the, uh, you get to meet the, the political powers pretty quickly, especially considering I write for the Epic Times and they, they all are aware of it. So uh, I, I know the senators and so forth and many, many assemblymen and, and the attorney general and yada, yada. I, people I never really knew in California. Right, but that's not the. Uh, that, that, I was asking about the California refugees. I assume oh, yeah, that no, the, these is, are Tennesseans. Frankly, there is there is a, quite a community of them, and they tend to be they tend to be um, very very devoted uh, constitutionalists, and many of them are at war with the local government, which is, you know. Rhino esque. I guess that's a simple way to say it. But but it, it, the way I describe it in the book is that a lot of the uh, Southern Republicans are actually the same old Southern Democrats in new clothes. So it, it's uh, it's a it, it's a, it's a strange situation actually. But I think it's going to turn out well. I try to be optimistic in general in life, as I think you do too. Uh, because it's it's a good way to be, and I think that we're learning from each other. I mean, the argument of these uh, southern former Southern Democrats now Southern Republicans is, hey, we're the ones who turned this state's conservative in the first place. It's only been ten or fifteen years, which is true. It's you know uh, the, most of these states were, uh, as we know, Democratic states. Uh, not that long ago. Did you lose, when you started your revolution rightward, did you lose all of your liberal slash left, they're not, they're not always the same, friends in L.A.? Alan Dershowitz said he has lost every single friend. Yes. Uh, uh <laughs> Well, Al is more out there than I am, but but he, but I did I did lose quite a number. But the people like like <laughs> I used to hang out at the farmers market with a bunch of writers and directors. We, we sort of grouped around Paul Mazursky when we we made movies together, and and gradually it became clear that I couldn't show up. Uh, <laughs> There was too much anger toward me. And, but, All but right, I got one more question for you. We'll be right back. The book is up at DennisPrager.com, American Refugees. 
MyPillow is excited to bring you their biggest bedding sale ever, just in time for Christmas. Get the Giza Dream Bed Sheets for as low as $29.98. A set of pillowcases only $9.98. Rejuvenate your bed with a MyPillow mattress topper for as low as $99.99. They also have blankets in a variety of sizes, colors, and styles. They even have blankets for your pets. Get duvets, quilts, down comforters, body pillows, bolster pillows, and so much more. All of the biggest discounts ever. They are also extending their money-back guarantee for Christmas until March 1st, 2024, making them the perfect gifts for your friends, your family, and everyone you know. So go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code Prager or call 800-761-6302 and you'll get huge discounts on all MyPillow bedding products including the Giza Dream bed sheets for as low as $29.98 and get all your shopping done now while quantities last. MyPillow.com, promo code Prager. And I'm with Roger Simon, the great screenwriter, who has moved after 50 years from L.A. to to uh, Tennessee. The book, he has written about it. It's very funny, uh, as expected, and very perceptive. American Refugees, the untold story of the mass exodus from blue states to red states. So I had a final question, Roger, and that is about the friends that... Uh, you, abandon you or you have or left them as you started your journey uh, rightward do we have roger by the way is is he on i don't yes, uh, yeah do. okay good because yeah. I, I didn't see you okay <laughs> fine so has have the events uh of october 7th affected any of your friends as they watch the left support today's Nazis I have not I ask myself that question every day I am not in the close enough communication to answer that Mm -hmm. Uh, you know there's a huge rift in my own family as there are in many families and I am detecting slight change and I'm detecting slight amounts of shame on the parts of the others. Fascinating. Uh, well, it, it, yeah. it, it, to delve into that, I, I'm very get, curious. Me too. Me too. Hmm. And to hmm. get people to admit they are wrong is very difficult. <laughs> well, it's the God that failed, as as was written in the late 40s by, by people yeah. who supported Stalin and then realized communism was indistinguishable from Nazism. Yes, Whitaker Chambers has always been to me the most fascinating character of, of, hmm. of almost all modern life. I mean, I'm I'm obsessed with his autobiography. Huh? Is he the one who said I went from the winning side to the losing side? <laughs> yes, among other things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, obviously, I don't need names or, or relationships, but. The rift that you speak of in your family is in your extended family, your immediate family? No, intimate family, too. Extended I'm sorry? and intimate. Really? Both. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I believe, I believe that, uh, in my own investigations, it's not uncommon. It's not oh, uncommon. okay. <laughs> no, uncommon is the other. Uh, yeah, listen, exactly. I, I do this routinely because... Uh, I, I meet with conservative 
people so often because so many uh, help uh, PragerU, and I meet with them, and one of the uh, first things I say, and I say, of course, you don't have to answer me, but everybody does, how many children do you have? And they give me the number, and I say, what's your batting average? And they, they don't even ask me, what do you mean? <laughs> and I'm asking, you know, what is the percentage of their children that shares their values? And it is, it is uh, only one-third of the time do all their children share their values. Well, I will tell you something. That is par for me. I have three children, and that's exactly it. But I have, in my case, there's a better explanation, and that is when I had my first two children, who are certainly more than grown up at this point, uh, I was a lefty. I was a left-wing Hollywood screenwriter. I I, I was so far left that I gave money to the Black Panther Party. They would come to my house. But this was when I was 25. I, I, for some reason, I could write dialogue when I was 25. And, and, the, and that was an area in Hollywood when they just threw money at you. And that's long gone. But the movies are worse, too. But anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, uh, you know, the, my kids saw a different, those kids saw a different Roger. That's right. That's a good point. And so it's, you know, I, I, I feel I'm culpable to some degree. Fascinating. So your youngest is the one more likely to share your values. Yes, she lives here in Nashville as well, and she uh, is a great student. She graduated from Colgate, summa cum laude, blah, 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 and, you know, uh, works for NASDAQ and is a, uh, a, a conservative and a very intelligent one and uh, a delight to talk to you are a delight to talk to roger next i will be in nashville for 10 days with a recording with jordan peterson and the group our next bible series so i definitely have to see you for dinner oh for sure the turkish the the turkish restaurant no, no, that's not very good, actually. But there, very, but there are plenty of good ones. Good. good. All right. I trust you. Folks, yeah, read the book, American Refugees, The Untold Story of the Mass Exodus from Blue States to Red States. Good luck, my friend. Thank you, sir, for having me. I really enjoyed it. Good. Had a very long piece in Epic Times talking about Epic Times. A great newspaper, E-P-O-C-H. Three experts, these experts, advocated for lockdowns. Now they say they were wrong. You know, when all of this stuff about we should lock down society in a different way, get rid of cars, regulate how much people travel, and other draconian measures, because scientists tell us, not science, but scientists, scientists and science are not the same thing. Scientists told us to close schools. It was the biggest stupidity of my lifetime in terms of the mass destruction that it created. Why people still think that listening to experts that the New York Times and NPR advocate is a good idea 
proves the ability of people to learn nothing, nothing, not just from history, from what happened two years ago. I read to you, as the dust settles from the COVID-19 pandemic and the fallout over lockdown policies becomes more pronounced, some lockdown proponents, such as New York University professor Scott Galloway, have conceded they were wrong for supporting lockdowns. I was on the board of my kid's school during COVID. I wanted a harsher lockdown policy, Mr. Galloway told Bill Maher on Maher's real-time program. In retrospect, I was wrong. The damage to kids of keeping them out of school longer was greater than the risk. But here's the bottom line. Myself, our great people at the CDC, I'd like to think the governor, we were all operating with imperfect information and we were doing our best, he said, referring to then New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. By the way, remember when I mocked Cuomo for his statement, if all this saves one life, it will have been worth it? Do you know that Almost immediately, I knew the lockdowns were an idiotic idea. You don't need to be a scientist to have common sense. What you do is you you weigh the evidence, and you weigh the advantages with the disadvantages. That is what a person who seeks truth does, not a person who thinks they have been given the truth. There is There are two types of people, those who believe they have been given the truth, and those who seek the truth. There's a big difference between them. Dr. Ari Jaffe, a clinical professor of pediatrics at the University of Alberta in Canada and an attending physician in pediatric critical care medicine, initially supported lockdowns. So did Kevin Bass a seventh-year medical student and researcher at a Texas medical school. Both now say they were wrong because of groupthink and fear-mongering rather than imperfect information. That Galloway is still a little taken, smitten with, he thinks, the, the decency and integrity of the CDC. I don't uh, believe that. Both push back against Mr. Galloway's notion that the powers that be were, quote, doing their best. Mr. Bass, who said at the beginning of the pandemic he was a hardcore COVIDian, someone who elevated COVID-19 prevention and mitigation almost to the level of a religion, said the Imperial College's modeling highly influenced his initial support for lockdowns as did reports from the World Health Organization. Remember that, by the way, Imperial College? They're responsible for a lot of damage. Have they ever apologized? Okay, here's my motto, one of my many, which is, uh, I wrote this 40 years ago, literally. Being on the left means never having to say you're sorry. They said it kills 3.4% of the people it infects. That was the World Health Organization's figure until early April, 3.4%. 
That's way too many people. That's like one out of every 30 people is going to die, Mr. Bass told the Epic Times. The modeling was flawed, and in general, modeling forecasting failed during the pandemic. This was because the models were based on flawed assumptions and non-transparent methods. That is what I believe motivates a great deal of the hysteria with regard to climate change. Flawed assumptions that are the basis of models and non-transparent methods. Dr. Jaffe said, Dr. Jaffe said that he also saw the effects of lockdowns on students at the university and came to recognize that his support of lockdowns was from a privileged position that, quote, failed to recognize that loneliness, unemployment, and adverse childhood experiences are top risk factors for shortened lifespan, mental health problems, and chronic non-communicable diseases. Plus, he had, quote, failed to recognize that missing school will affect an entire generation with reduced social development, executive function, function, i.e. decision-making ability, earning potential, and future lifespan, and lead to marked increases in adverse mental health outcomes, unquote. Once he recognized these facts, Dr. Jaffe began researching lockdowns, and his paper was published on February 26, 2021. I'll continue with this. It's really, really important. People were profoundly misled because they were taught at college to trust experts. They will explain why that's a bad idea in the course of this article back in a moment. The Dennis Prager Show. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hello there, everybody. Dennis Prager here. I return to a dramatic piece about scientists who deeply regret that they called for lockdowns and masks. And I don't think this is yet about those who are now at least ambivalent about their advocacy of the COVID vaccine for healthy people, especially young people. (laughs) And I... uh, 
I began this uh, piece last hour, and it is about three scientists who were uh, advocative of this. I am going to continue here. It's, it's too important. How they believed the modeling of how many people will die and the modeling to shut down schools. The modeling was flawed, Dr. Jaffe said. This was because the models were based on flawed assumptions and non-transparent methods. I did read this line before I'm repeating it. And I just want you to know how much of the draconian, you think the lockdowns were draconian, the massive changes in life that are taking place as a result of the modeling of climate change. Because the truth of the matter is, and you are actually allowed to pursue truth even if you don't have an, a PhD in climatology. The pursuit of truth is incumbent upon all human beings. And we have been told since at least 1990 when Al Gore wrote, uh, what was it, Earth in the Balance, yes. We have 12 years. In 12 years, uh, that's all we have. That's the time uh, to forestall uh, uh, the the existential threat to life on Earth posed by global warming as it was known until they made it into climate change. By the way, why did they change the term? Because they now, they now attribute everything climatically to carbon emissions. So that even when places have the coldest day in the history of that place, well, that, uh, what was it uh, on, the, on the Letterman show? What, what, was, what was the, uh, you know, the MSNBC host? Rachel Maddow. Rachel Maddow. When she said, oh yes, climate change means change of any kind. Cold or hot, wet or dry. It's all carbon emissions. So 1990, we had 12 years. Then in 2002, we had 12 years. Then 2014, all we had was 12 years. And the 12 years are up in two years. I live in Southern California. It's extremely cold here, actually, which it is most winters. It went down to the 30s where I live in the L.A. area last couple of nights. Anybody living in L.A. cannot claim to be experiencing the effects of climate change. Because when it's dry, oh, climate change, carbon emissions. When it's, when it's really rainy, oh, that's carbon emissions. Why, why haven't the experts and the New York Times and NPR lost their credibility on scaring you? Why? I don't, I don't get it. Do you want to be scared? I think a lot of people do. The modeling was flawed. This was because the models were based on flawed assumptions and non-transparent methods, Dr. Jaffe said. Dr. Jaffe said that he also saw the effects of lockdowns on students at the university, and he spoke about loneliness, unemployment, and, and adverse childhood effects. 
He Plus, he said, I failed to recognize that missing school will affect an entire generation with reduced social development, decision-making ability, earning potential, and future lifespan, and lead to marked increases in adverse mental health outcomes. Once he recognized those facts, Dr. Jaffe began researching lockdowns, and his paper was published on February 26, 2021. In his conclusion, he wrote, quote, The economic recession through austerity in government spending on the social determinants of health can be expected to cause far more loss of life and well-being over the long run than COVID-19 can. Get that? Yeah. I wrote this in 2020. You can look it up. We must open up society to save many more lives than we can by attempting to avoid every case or even most cases of COVID-19. It is past time to take an effortful pause, calibrate our response to the true task and the true risk, make rational cost-benefit analysis of the trade-offs and the lockdown groupthink, yes, just as we have climate change groupthink. Even though I was very, very closely following the science, I was reading papers super closely, super carefully, and knew what I was talking about. I got a lot of pushback from the very same community that I had been a part of, which used to cheer me on about debunking misinformation. Mr. Bass said, this is the sixth-year medical student, they started accusing me of misinformation. I started getting mobbed by my own team. Recognizing his error and wanting to acknowledge it, Mr. Bass posted to X on December 12, 2022, quote, I was wrong about lockdowns and mandates. I was wrong, and the reason I was wrong was my tribalism. This is really important. My emotions and my distorted understanding of human nature and of the virus. It doesn't matter much, but I wanted to apologize for being wrong. Tribalism, emotions, distorted understanding of human nature and of the virus. Dr. Jaffe said, government put the wrong people in charge of advising and managing the public emergency of the pandemic. The public health medical officers were not trained nor experienced in managing a public emergency. The medical expert groups also were not trained nor experienced in managing a public emergency. All were susceptible to groupthink. In other words, doctors are as likely to be sheep as any other group, which is what I have said to you for years. Why would they be any different? Do you learn to be an independent thinker at medical school? It's not what doctors have told me, and it's worse now. Remember the University of Minnesota Medical School, where they took that oath based on their being on indigenous people's lands and that they will fight racism and for 
diversity, equity, and inclusion as doctors. That's a pledge that they took. The purpose of medical schools in many cases today is to produce leftists, not good doctors. The next generation is going to suffer from so many things that the left of of their previous generation did. I hope they end up loathing them. One day, I hope, when I am gone, the next generation, really two generations beyond me, will look back at the left-wing older people who then will be dead and say, wow, did they hurt me. They gave me a debt that cannot be sustained. The economic life that I am leading is so inferior because of all of their spending and why did they get off even even natural gas? Energy is so expensive and so unreliable because of the fools that preceded me. And I, as a kid, believed them. Yeah, maybe I should write a column. What the youth of the future will say about us. But not about me. <laughs> And I'm not alone. That's right. As usual, the outliers were the right ones, not the sheep. Reading to you about the scientists who now regret that they were for lockdowns. The article continues after saying that we were all susceptible to groupthink. By the end of 2023, that's just a few days ago, COVID-19 will have cost the U.S. economy $14 trillion. The University of Southern California's Leonard D. Schaefer Center for Health Policy and Economics reports. $14 trillion. Workplace absences and sales lost Due to the cessation of brick-and-mortar retail shopping, air travel and public gatherings contributed the most, quote-unquote, to the price tag the center states. In addition, 50% of young adults age 18 to 24 reported symptoms of anxiety and depression in 2023, a Kaiser Family Foundation survey found. I'm telling you, the challenge to being a happy youth is so much greater than in my generation, or I think virtually any generation in American history. You don't know if you're a boy or a girl. It's all in your head. It doesn't exist. What else? You're going to, you, there's a good chance you will die of heat as you get older. The currency is becoming more and more worthless. You can now have a relationship with artificial intelligence, spend more time in front of a computer screen. Yeah, this is really something. Oh, and of course, no God or religion. Left, left made sure of that too. 50% of young adults reported symptoms of anxiety and depression 
in 2023, a Kaiser Family Foundation survey found, and about 47% of parents who responded said the pandemic hurt their child's mental health. No, it didn't. The lockdowns did. Quote, the coronavirus disease, COVID-19 pandemic, has led to one of the largest disruptions to learning in history. To a large extent, it is due to school closures, which are estimated to have affected 95% of the world's student population. Study authors Bastian Bethauser, an assistant professor at the Center for Research on Social Inequalities, and Anders Bach-Mortensen, a senior postdoctoral researcher at the University of Oxford, wrote, quote, lockdowns have restricted children's movement and their ability to play, meet other children, and engage in extracurricular activities. Children's well-being and family relationships have also suffered due to economic uncertainties and conflicting demands at work, care, and learning. And so that ends that. Michelle Obama says she is terrified about the 2024 election results. And it keeps her up at night. Yeah, so is she planning a run? I think most Democrats would pray that she does, but they don't live. Many, most, most Democrats have nobody to pray to, but they'd pray anyway. What is it? There are no, no atheists in foxholes, and they fear that they're in a foxhole with Joe Biden as the nominee. Yeah. I have, a, I have an article here that... It's so in keeping. Wikipedia's Arabic language site spreads anti-Israel propaganda. Do you know that in the Wikipedia page, uh, in uh, uh, in Arabic, uh, has a big Palestinian flag and the following message: "In solidarity with the rights of the Palestinian people." No to the genocide in Gaza. No to killing civilians. No to targeting hospitals and schools for misleading and double standards. Stop the war and spread a just and comprehensive peace. That's from the Wikipedia homepage in Arabic. I did not know this until I read this, that Wikipedia is in part funded by George Soros. It's not surprising. I have not been able to edit my own page in five years. I don't even go to it. I don't even I don't even read it anymore. But people do who find out about me and then they go, Oh, let me see who he is. Each phrase in red, genocide in Gaza, killing civilians, targeting hospitals and schools, and mislead and double standards leads to its own Arabic language article, Genocide in Gaza. Goes to the article for the Palestinian-Israeli War in 2023, which the page also describes as Operation Al-Aqsa Flood, the Hamas War, the Third Intifada, 
and the Gaza massacre. The line referencing civilian deaths leads to a page that translates to pogroms during the Palestinian-Israeli War 2023, which makes no distinguish no distinction between Hamas terrorists and civilians and claims Israel bombed the Al-Ali hospital in Gaza, which it did not. This being Wikipedia, it is difficult to tell whether many of the people mentioned on this page ever existed in the first place. Yeah. I used to give money to Wikipedia when I realized that with any controversial subject, they're simply another left-wing site. I stopped giving. It's sad. But when I look up musical stuff, they're great. Hello there, everybody. Ultimate Issues Hour, the great issues of life. Third hour every Tuesday. So, I am going to... Let's see, what is the best word? I was thinking of the word challenge. I was thinking of the word annoy. (laughs) But I have no intention of either challenging or annoying. Certainly not annoying. But some of my fellow religious individuals listening might find my position troubling. And the issue is God in control, because I hear it a great deal, and I I have no problem, let's put it this way, I certainly have no problem with people who believe that God is always in control. The word is always, because of course, ultimately God is in control of the universe. But people don't mean that, it that way. When they say God is in control... They will often say, like, look, you know, things look bad, but have have faith. God is in control. I have faith, but I don't know what that means, that God is in control. And I don't know, I still don't know after hearing it for decades from people, and I, I've raised this tangentially, but now we have an hour to discuss it. If a loved one is killed by a drunk driver, was that God in control? See, if you say God is in control on the really, really large stuff, or on occasion with individuals, I agree with you. That is true. I mean, even the founders of the United States who were not traditionally religious believed in providence, that there is God's hand in history. And I believe that too. But that's not the same thing as God is always in control. I think people want to believe that because it helps them navigate through massive injustice, like being hit by a drunk driver. I was reading recently, it's as good as, as good example as any, 
because this doesn't involve evil. It just involves lousy luck. And that I have talked to you about the issue of luck. So the Daily Mail reported about a woman in her 40s, a a mom, a married woman, a wife, a mother, a registered nurse. She went in for routine kidney stone. What is it? You have kidney stones. You you go in for surgery to remove the stone. Is that what it is when, when you can't relieve yourself of it? Yeah, if, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's that's the type of surgery I'm talking about. There's no other kidney stone surgery. You don't take out a kidney, you take out a stone. Okay. So she went in to have a, a stone taken out. I, I have never had one. I am told by those who have it that the pain in, in kidney stones is horrific. But she just couldn't expel it. It was too big. And so they had uh, this, this is really under the, heading of routine surgery. It's not quite like an appendectomy, but it's quite routine. But she developed sepsis, a bacterial infection, which is the great danger of surgery and being in a hospital. It spread to her limbs, and in order to save her life, they amputated both legs and both arms, both below the elbow, both below the knee. Woman goes in for a routine surgery, comes out with no no arms and no, no legs, at least beneath the joint. In fact, I even, I send, I sent the GoFundMe page money. I was so moved by her plight. So, what what is one's position? Is God in charge? There was God in charge. Uh, I don't believe so. God allows sepsis to develop when you have a surgery. God allows drunk drivers to kill people or paralyze people. God allows many things that He doesn't like to happen because He has made a world, the human world, with freedom. So when we say God is in control, do we mean with everybody in all situations? I think that is certainly an Islamic belief. I had an author on uh, many years ago, a really brilliant book on this aspect of there was a division in the Middle Ages in Islam. Does God direct an arrow to its target? And Muslim theology won out the one that said, yes, God does direct the arrow to its target, won out. Not the ability of the archer, not the wind factor, but it it is all, uh, all God. So what does it mean then, God is in control? And why would one believe that? One eight Prager seven seven six eight seven seven two four three triple seven six. Even if one argues that in the final analysis, 
you know, God operates in history. Yes, fine. In the final analysis, I have no problem with that. But there's a lot of evil and suffering until the final analysis happens. That, that's that's a factor. This is a real puzzle to me when when people do say that. You don't say that, right? What, I mean, you're very God-centered. You, you say God is in control? I know you don't. I, I know. I, that's what I thought. I'm asking you. God has opted not to control everything. That That's my theology. And it, it makes sense looking at what happens. So I, I don't personally get uh, comfort, as many religious people do get comfort from that, uh, that statement, God is in control. One of the dangers of the statement is that people then won't do what they have to do. They won't fight. Well, God is in control. I'll leave it to God. Is, is is the sort of upshot, the, the implication of God is in control, I'll leave it up to him. So uh, that's one of the dangers, and that's the part that bothers me, because I don't want people to stop fighting. The God is in control line can really render you why fight if god if god determines the winner anyway is god in control of a, a football game think about it if god is in control why should the players play hard god is in control and i don't know why life is not analogous to a a sporting event you, you no no player would say look god is in control so not not sure it's all that important that i you know <laughs> play all that well god is in control anyway so I'm asking you what the, what the phrase means because I hear it a great deal, including from wonderful people. This is no attack on the people who believe it. They tend to be very fine people. Back in a moment. I had everything, so tell me, would you please? How could I possibly... The subject of the Ultimate Issues Hour today is what does it mean when you say God is in control? All right, because uh, I, I am, remember, my Bible commentary is titled The Rational Bible. God gave us reason, and it's we should use it. Beaumont, California, Marty, hello. Yeah, Dennis, I've been meaning to uh, call you for uh, several weeks since the uh, tragedy of my daughter being killed in a motorcycle accident. And uh, I don't believe God is in charge 
of everything. Um, ultimately, the universe, but you know, not in, in individual lives and happenstances in the world. And I'm referring to De- your Deuteronomy book, uh, which I've just enjoyed everyone you've put out. Thank you. Uh, God is God lovable. Mm-hmm. Um, and boy, at, at times like this, it's uh, really hard to, uh, uh, to believe God is lovable or to love God. But uh, if it wasn't for my belief as a Christian in, 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 in Jesus Christ, I don't think I could get through this. That's right. Well, the, none, none of them, none of your beliefs are mutually exclusive. You, you're, yeah. What I admire about you is that you're real. A lot of religious people, they, they, when it comes to religiosity, they, they stop being quite real. Because it, it's... And, well, and frankly, yeah, go real. ahead. Well, back to religion on the line with you, and over the years, you have made me real. Uh-huh. Too. Mm-hmm. Listen, I'm honored to have you as a listener, You're, and my heart goes out to you about your daughter. I have a particular affection for, for people who've lost a child. I know so many. I don't know how that's happened in my life that I know so many. But I do, and I have. Uh, I want to hug all of them. A motorcycle accident. So was God in control? I know why people want to believe that, but it comes with a terrible price. That belief. People want to believe it because it's so painful to think that luck, or just you know, the haphazard, haphazardness of life took one's daughter away. But to believe otherwise is also, it also comes with a price. So I presume she was in on the motorcycle, and I presume that a car hit. I don't, I don't know the details. That's usually what happens. My dear, dear friend Frank Pastore was killed like that, riding a motorcycle, and hit by a woman who was distracted and just hit him. And had he been in a car, of course, nothing would have happened. Basically, it, but he loved his motorcycle. I and I remember him in his motorcycle boots every day. I would see him. We broadcast from the same studio in L.A. He is Christian show, me, my show. God allows these things to happen. What I do believe is that ultimately God is just and merciful. And in in the hereafter, things will be understood and there will be a reconnecting with those we lost. Otherwise, God is cruel, made a world, and this is all there is. That's inconceivable to me, because God is good and just. Therefore, there has to be an afterlife. But this world, he allows these things to happen. Okay, let's go to Thousand Oaks, California, and Claus. Hello, or Claus. Is it Claus or Claus? This is, uh, this is Klaus with a K. 
Uh, uh, it's with a C, but I'm not going to put Leslie in the punishment room. Oh, that's the second time. Leslie, love you. Hey, uh, Dennis, Happy New Year, first of all. Thank and, you. Thank um, you. And my heart goes out to that father who lost his yes. daughter in the motorcycle accident. Yes. Um, I, I, I'm on with you in that a lot of times, especially in the evangelical Christian community, because I, I came from that community, uh, the whole, uh, whenever a, a tragedy happens or whenever a big success happens, like winning a football game, I can't, I can't, I've lost count how many times a lot of the players last night at, um, Michigan at right. uh, Washington State's mm-hmm. game said, oh, it's, it's all to God. It's like, okay, that's, I guess that's nice, but it's still kind of a cop out. Cause what about the folks that lost on the other side? Uh, was God against well, and, and, and losing? Yeah. So also, it, it, does it, God it, it, really care about football games? Uh, it, it's. I think. <laughs> I, I think he, what he. I think what God cares about is that you know you do the best you can. Yeah. No, that's of course, opinion, and that you and that opinion. you don't cheat. No, exactly. And, and that's no that, reference to the, the charges against Michigan. No. Okay. No, but the. Um, the 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 whole God is in control. Okay, when you lose a spouse to cancer, or you know your spouse has his or her limbs all taken off because of X number of reasons. When your child is tragically taken away from you and saying, "Oh, God is in control," it's just they're not coping properly with the loss. They're not dealing with it. Uh, they're not dealing with their anger. They're not dealing with their sadness. They're not dealing with Right, so here, okay, so here's the question. If it works, why would I want to disturb them? And that's not a put down and it's not said patronizingly, it is meant from the bottom of my heart. You lose a child and you believe it was God's will in some way, and that brings you comfort. I, I don't want to disturb that comfort. But I'm, I'm just addressing the issue outside of the comfort zone. We'll be back. So, my friends, this is a really important Ultimate Issues Hour. The statement, God is in control, what, what does that mean? Ultimately, I guess ultimately that is true, but on any day-to-day basis, it's not necessarily true. Let's go to your calls here, and Carson, California, Mark, hello. So I have a question first, Dennis. My question is, do you primarily hear this from Christians, your Christian friends or associates, or your Jewish friends? And I ask that question because I hear it all the time, too. I don't hear it from my Jewish friends. I primarily hear it from my Christian friends. It's a great question, and I'm really thinking carefully because I'm immersed in both communities, Christian and Jewish, and including... Yes including both the, the the evangelical and the orthodox Jew. So I, I you're asking the right guy. <laughs> okay. But so it's interesting. I would like, I'm going to pose this to some uh, of the 
more orthodox folks, the modern orthodox, you wouldn't hear from. In general, you're quite right. I do hear it more. But one might argue there are so many more Christians than Jews that, of course, you'll hear it more. You'll hear almost anything more from Christians. That, that might be a factor. So let me give you a little example, and you tell me what this means. I visited a, 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 an orthodox, bearded orthodox a rabbi many, many years ago. Uh, this, this wonderful human being who's a Chabad rabbi. It's the very famous ultra-Orthodox group. That, I love them. He lost his wife. She simply died at a wedding. in their. They were in their late 20s at the time. And uh, I, I went to pay what we call a shiva call. He was sitting, the shiva means seven, the seven days of mourning. I visited him, and he looked at me, and he goes, Dennis... And he said it in Yiddish, but it doesn't matter. It translates perfectly into English. Man plans, God laughs. Right. So that is a bitter, uh, I mean, let's be honest, it's a bitter saying. Jews are not <laughs> averse to expressing annoyance with God. That right. uh, That is more common among Jews. Uh, I, I, uh, and it started with Abraham. Hey, Will the judge of all the earth not act justly when he argued with God about the destroying Sodom and Gomorrah? So, mm-hmm. uh, so that true. Th- there's a, a Jewish Christian difference in terms of behavior. I, I don't hear Christians as annoyed with God as often as I hear Jews uh, annoyed with God. Uh, but uh, th- that might imply that statement that God is in control. You you think you are a man plans, but God laughs. So in effect, God laughs at your plans, right? Well, but I, I mean, I hear that, and I don't. I, I don't like you. I don't question theology. I don't argue theology, and I. But I. But I do. I appreciate my free will, and in my belief, my faith is built on my free will. And God is, like you said, ultimately in control of the universe. But I am in control yeah. of my soul here on earth. Mm-hmm. I have to make the decisions that keep me in God's favor. So when you hear from fellow Christians, God is in control, how do you react? I think that it's an abdication in most cases. And on one hand, I believe it's an abdication on the other hand, the the people that I hear in my life using that type of uh, terminology the most are the ones that have the weakest faith. Wow. It's an abdication. It's an excuse for them. Um, um, uh, I think it's a, no, I, I don't, I don't think it's an abdication of faith. I think it's an abdication of action. If God is in well, control, well, why should I bother fighting? Well, well. Because, because it it it, it absorbs them of any responsibility. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. I'm, that, that's what I'm saying. So I'm I'm not sure that it you know absolves them of faith. I I think a lot of people of very deep faith believe God is in control. And by the way, I have no desire to talk them out of it. But I do have a desire to talk through the beliefs that people have, so that. It, it is rooted in, in faith and reason. Okay, back in a moment. You can hear it in your 
Yeah, that's the question. When What do people mean when they say God is in control? All right, so here we go. Yana in Maui, Hawaii. Hello, Yana. Aloha. Aloha. Thank you for having um, Yeah, I just wanted to bounce off the last caller and kind of bring in maybe a Jewish perspective or a Kabbalistic perspective. Um, to your question or to your analysis, been listening, kind of eager to call in. And then with that last caller, I was like, okay, I have to now. That's divine providence. Um, basically, you're posing it as kind of an or statement. So, like, either God is in control or we have free choice as humans. And then God intervenes, like, with some general rules and then lets us humans run wild within that set of general rules. Is kind of how I'm understanding it. And from what my tradition is, or from what I've learned in the Kabbalah, it's an and statement, which to humans seems like a paradox, but it's always happening at the same time. So both, God is in control of every single minute detail, the car accident, the surgery gone wrong, why some kids are born into certain horrific situations and others are born into multi-million dollar mansions and trust funds. God is in control of all of that. And... At the exact same time, we humans have free choice and get to make decisions, and the drunk driver gets to drive drunk, and, you know, um, the trust fund kid gets to donate. So, so how do you square that circle? Because if you, you, you have the free will to drive drunk and God is in control, why aren't they in some ways mutually exclusive? What do you mean by mutually exclusive? Like e- either God is in control or the drunk driver is in control. That's, so that's the human perspective. The human perspective is an, is an orb, and I agree with you. If we're just looking at it from human logic. I see. So we're... in some way you're saying, and I'm not knocking it. I, 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 I'm really asking what people mean when, yeah, when yeah. they believe that. Okay. All I right. can even explain the way. I just don't want to, you know, take up too much or too little time, but I can explain exactly the way when you study Kabbalah, how it happens. All mechanism. right. You know, I will do that on another call because that uh, I am truly and I'm not I know I'm putting you off, but I, I I'm putting you off for a reason. I, I, I want to take more calls, but I do want to hear that. But let me tell you what is normative Judaism. the Talmud is normative Judaism, and the Talmud has a very important line that I learned very early in my yeshiva days, and that is, I'll say it in Hebrew only because it gives it somewhat uh, more validity, Hakol Tzafui Veharashut Nituna. Everything is foreseen, but permission is given. In other words, so this free will, God knows the future, but free will is given. And there is another one that is even more uh, more relevant to what we're saying. And that is, hakol bidei shamayim, everything is in the hands of heaven. Chutz mi'irat shamayim, except for fear of heaven. So everything is in God's hands, except whether you listen to God. That has been a guiding principle of my life, understanding that. 
It is all in God's hands except whether you obey him. It's a real, that's a really powerful, really, really powerful line. Okie Let's see here. Philadelphia, Keith. Hello. Hi, Dennis. Thank you for taking my call. Can you hear me okay? I do. Great. Uh, I'd actually like to agree with the person who just spoke with you. Um, I'm actually an evangelical Christian, and I also have Parkinson's disease for the last 15 years, so I can speak as somebody who's had some suffering. Um, but it's very clear from the Bible, our understanding as inerrant and God's Word, that God is in control always. It has been from the beginning. Uh, now, you look at the Garden of Eden, why would God make something imperfect? He made something perfect, but Adam and, in, Adam and Eve fell. Uh, I would not put it as free will. I'd put it as uh, responsibility. So the Bible never uses the word free will for anybody, but um, it does clearly imply that we have personal responsibility for making decisions on a day-to-day basis. It is paradoxical, but if I understand the definition of paradox, it's two truths that seem contradictory but are still true. And uh, it's like the, the Trinity in Christianity, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one in essence, but uh, three separate persons. Uh, right, so right. So as Christians have said to me for, for very long, that's the, they call it the mysterium tremendum, the great mystery. So you're saying, likewise, this is a great mystery, how yeah, you can yeah. have both. Yeah. And I would throw in that uh, in Romans 8, it's a very well-known passage um, that um, God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And that goes on to talk about suffering, subsequent to that, uh, in, in the context of Jesus' suffering. And I would say in my own case, I've been, I've been dealing with Parkinson's for 15 years. It's diagnosed fairly early, actually, early in age-wise. And um, I can say several things have come, have come good at it. It's not, it's not fun, but um, I grew closer to my parents because I was more uh, open with my feelings. I actually was able to share my faith more at uh, work, and um, it helps me uh, help other people who have Parkinson's. And, and, uh, I have no doubt care. about that. I, I, I only wish you well, and I thank you. Hmm. Well, you know, I love the Ultimate Issues Hour. Much for the t- as much for what you say as as much for the uh, the topic that I have raised. Hmm. Let's see. Tucson, Arizona, and Stuart. Hello. Hi, Mr. Brager. I'll try and uh, be as succinct as I can. So uh, one of the ways I've come to see life is that everything is odds-driven, that God made a universe of odds. No matter what malady you can come up with, somebody's born with it so at uh, every age. All right, hold on. I'm keeping whatever. you on. Don't Don't go away. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.